Hey, you're listening to Bits and Pieces on Sunrise Robot. I'm one of your hosts, Michael Edwards from Denver, Colorado. And I'm Matt Duncan of Gelsenkirchen, Germany. And uh, we thrive on the support of our listeners, so please check out sunriserobot.net slash support and see some ways you can help us out. So here we are with episode 27, and for once we don't have any follow-up, we just have new material. So Yay. here we go. All um, new cuts. <laughs> fresh cuts. Um, deep cuts, hot licks. Um, well, first off, we just got this little uh, humorous article. Um, this is uh, from thehardtimes.net, and I'm not familiar with this website, but um, we're just going to go with it. And this is sort of like a, an Onion article, so I guess just to, to bring us in with a smile. Um, the article is, quote, this is an all-inclusive space, unquote, says all-white, all-male, cisgendered audience. And uh, so, you know, the, the article is basically describing a new venue that's very, very inclusive and all fans welcome and people from all walks of life and, and, and all kinds of people. Um, but in fact, only white people that like hardcore and punk music show up at this place. And, um, yeah, that's really it. I do like this quote. Um, we really think the diverse community in Seattle will, in Seattle will enjoy it if any of those types of people ever show up. <laughs> all fans matter. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, lots of cities kind of have that venue that's very well-intentioned, but kind of lame that kind of shows up and you're like, you feel bad because you're like, oh, you're really nice people and everything about you is like in the right spirit and for the right reason. And no one's going to go to a show there. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, we, we got a bunch of um, those those houses like... Um where it's basically for the youth so young people can go there and spend their day and uh, and when they are playing live music there in the evening um you wouldn't think that this is that the target audience would be somebody below the age of 20 so um it works the same way it's it's not like oh we're 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 doing everything for for the teenagers for the youth yeah, and in the evening there are 20 somethings drinking and dancing to <laughs> not dancing to punk nobody dances to do people dance to punk music well dance punk ah okay sure no so but uh, uh, I, I, th I think that's uh, kind of the parallel there yeah um so uh, moving on, to, uh, there was an interesting article in the New York Times. It was an op-ed from David Byrne, who you may know from Talking Heads or uh, from his more recent collaborations with St. Vincent. Um, he's writing about, um, basically, the, the title of his article is Open the Music Industry's Black Box. And uh, he's talking about how labels and rights holders kind of have this invisible back channel of deals they make um, that are kept separate from the actual artist's. And, uh, you know, that's very actually good for their reputation if people don't know what happens there. And so um, he dives into the details. So very famously, Spotify has done a good job of from their end to the degree they can trying to shine some light on this stuff. So 70% of Spotify's revenue goes as royalties to the labels who then basically can do whatever they want. Um, they can have their own formula for distributing that or splitting it up or moving it around. And uh, the, the the actually protected earmarked money that goes straight to artists is very small. And the, the rest of the revenue is kind of at the whims of the labels and rights holders. Um, but the other thing is that uh, 
um, streaming has very high margins. So um, unlike CD production, record production, where there's a very much some capital investment and um, you're actually producing a product and shipping it, streaming is just built on the internet. We all know this, unless you're Neil Young. And uh, <laughs> it's just... Uh, the, the means that the labels kind of get by pretending that it's it's not very much of a business. It's not it doesn't work so well. But the more they can trick people into thinking, hey, we're not really making that much. The less scrutiny they'll get from artists or from the public who may want to you know invest in something that's a little more artist positive. Um, so you know, a lot of the details in this article are things that musicians have been complaining about, or topics I've seen that we've we've covered on past episodes. But what I like is that David Byrne is a very prominent voice in music. He's taking this to one of the most prominent newspapers um, in the U.S., and so I hope it brings this discussion to bear a little more. Yeah, I also hope that. Um, it, it's just this thing that. Uh, I mean, the title of, the, of this article is already the Open the Music Industry's Back Box. And that's what it is. And, uh, although with the internet, we, everybody has now gotten a chance to, to become someone in the music industry or, and just to, to, to have their music heard or be successful in a way and independently, especially. We still have this problem that now with all these streaming services, now we are at the state again where we don't. We can't really look behind those curtains. What's going on with those big records label record labels? They have like taken this all for themselves once again. Although we all now have a chance. So and may, maybe that's it. Maybe um, you're you're lured into into this false sense of everybody now has a chance, while still the big music labels pretty much control everything. Um, yeah. And this this is the big problem now. So before we all knew that. If you don't have a label or if you don't have a record deal, you can't become anyone. Then the internet came and now we're kind of back at the same place, but it's not that apparent anymore. Yeah. And there's some good quotes in here. So um, David Byrne does have his own label and he owns some of the copyrights to some of his albums. And so um, he says, I asked Apple Music to explain the calculation of royalties for the trial period, the three month trial period that Apple Music is doing. Um they said they disclosed that only to copyright owners, that is the labels. I have my own label and own the copyright in some of my albums. But when I turned to my distributor, the response was, quote, you can't see the deal, but you could have your lawyer call our lawyer and we might answer some questions. <laughs> so that's a pretty disappointing answer. And then this other yeah. quote, um, just more to the point of the black box, labels don't just get like royalties from the streaming services. Um, labels, and this is a quote from Byrne, the labels also get money from three other sources, all of which are hidden from artists. They get advances from the streaming services, which, um, from the Spotify Sony leak, we saw that they're, you know, like Sony's getting like $40 million in an advance just for making a deal with Spotify. And that money presumably is not being shared with <laughs> artists or not very much, or we just don't know. Um, so yeah. there's advances for streaming services. There's catalog service payments for old songs. And then another huge one is equity in streaming services themselves. So the labels get to own chunks of the streaming landscape, which could only be little more concerning about the future because if labels end up owning the most important streaming platforms that, you know, if customers lock in on Spotify or Apple Music, then you won't feel like you can go elsewhere 
And then who's going to negotiate a great deal with yeah. artists if the labels are the ones representing it? So uh, I, I love this call for openness. Um, I, I do think this is sort of the the spirit of the internet for better or worse. And, you know, we can talk about the dark side of total freedom and lack of accountability, but um, openness and transparency lets us hold these big businesses more accountable and find better deals. I don't really have anything to add. You summed <laughs> it up pretty well. <laughs> yeah. So tell me about this, uh, this new single by a certain boy band. Oh yeah. The certain boy band, um, that, not to be bragging, but I've to this day really never heard a single song of them. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not on the, on the channels that their music is played on, but I honestly to this day, I've never heard a One Direction song. So I don't have any idea what they sound like, which means I'm can be, I don't have, I'm not judging at all. I'm, it's not like, <laughs> oh, they are, they suck and all that. No, I don't really know anything about them. So this is completely neutral right now. Uh, and, th- and this isn't negative news anyway. So, um, one Direction are currently making the big bucks with their latest song, Drag Me Down. Um, they're supposedly making 21k a day on Spotify alone. And you won't find anything on that on YouTube. So if you to search for that song on YouTube, you will only find like cover versions of people like playing the acoustic guitar in the bedroom, the usual stuff. But um, they, they are very good right now, or their label is very good right now, at keeping everything from their, from, from YouTube that is the actual song, Drag Me Down. So it's, it's kind of an experiment. It's a Spotify-led day one streaming campaign. So from day one, it was all, uh, they, they went all out and said, listen to our song on Spotify. Just go to Spotify. We don't care. Uh, like, they, as if they didn't care about anything else, just go on Spotify. <laughs> they blocked off everything from YouTube so you don't have a chance other than go to Spotify which kind of locks all their people in there, all their fans. And um, it works. That's that's all you got to say. It works. I mean, Spotify also helped in, I mean, they probably paid for it, but it helped that they had a, a banner when you go into this browse menu where you just get all these um, recommendations. They had this big banner, banner at the top, which I've never clicked on. Because there's never <laughs> anything worthwhile. It, it's this, this, this typical th- sense of if you have to aggressively market your music like that, I don't believe it's that good. <laughs> it's just, like, just me. Be, be it just cynical. has to be repeated often enough that people get hooked on it anyway. Right. Right. And I, I get the feeling with like uh, with with most advertisements on on Spotify. Like if this were some good stuff, you wouldn't have to advertise it like that. But that's the topic in and of itself. So, and here, here's a screenshot of one of their tweets. We can probably guess what you're all listening to on Spotify today. Hashtag drag me down. And with a link to the, to the Spotify song. And it has 34,000 retweets and 46,000 favorites. Wow. Yeah. The yeah. teenage brigade of fans really sucked this marketing campaign up. So the only One Direction song I know about is their uh, You Don't Know You're Beautiful song. And uh, I find the premise very ugly in this song. It's a girl is beautiful because she doesn't know she's beautiful. And it's Uh. just sort of like people who know they're attractive are kind of arrogant or something. I don't know. But it's just like... I mean, it's just a typical tropey like teenage thing, but it's also like... Oh, apparently women only exist to be attractive and we're just going to keep feeding this machine that people, you know, you exist to be beautiful for me and you don't even know that you are that. And that's even better and more exciting for me. And it's just like 
I, I, I realize I'm putting more onto the song, like extending its rhetoric, but and other, other than that, it's just boy band shit. I mean, it's just <laughs> love ballads and danceable stuff that, you know, teenagers can blast in their cars and dance to. Um, I'm, you know, I'm in my thirties. I don't care. <laughs> but even when I was 15, I was, you know, not this kind of music listener. So maybe I shouldn't comment on it and just let people enjoy what they enjoy. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it is interesting to see, you know, if you enforce scarcity and drive people to one place to hear a song from an artist they want to hear from, yeah, it works. Good job. There's also this one statistic here in, in an update to the article where it says that Spotify has announced that Drag Me Down was streamed a record-breaking 4.75 million times just on Friday alone, the most streams in a single day for track in the service history. That would have made approximately $33,000 for music rights holders. Now, think about this for a second. I would be happy to get those 33000 33, But now imagine those 4.75 million place let's say all of their fans played the song five times in a row because that's what their fans are like so um we've got those seven seven point five million and by five this is nine hundred and fifty thousand so nine hundred fifty thousand people approximately let's say listen to this now imagine that only let's say fifty percent bought it would that be a realistic sure number i don't know I don't know. Nobody buys my music. I don't know. Um, <laughs> so we're back to 475,000. Now imagine all of them bought it for $1 on on iTunes. That's more than then 10 had, times. Yeah, that's about half a million dollars. 475 million, uh, million not. $475,000. <laughs> so with that comparison, those 33,000 aren't all that much for a single song for a yeah. music industry. The only, um, I, the only yeah. caveat I would lay on that is that if people buying it for $1, that's one single purchase that will never be more revenue from those people. Whereas if people kept loving this song and kept streaming it, maybe it'll add up. It just depends on the long tail. Yeah. And I can, I, I believe that, uh, especially with One Direction, I think they're making more money with the merchandise anyway. Like in my grocery store, uh, um, down the block, there are it's like, um, packet, what, what are they called? Let, let me just find that word. Uh, I don't even know what's in them, but it says One Direction on them. So they're, they're, they're international. Surprise bags, grab bag, jamboree bag, lucky bag. Jamboree. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's British. <laughs> British. Yeah, so there's stuff from One Direction in my grocery store, and I believe people are buying this. So they're probably making more money off of merchandise. But anyway, this, from the numbers perspective, this is really interesting. I mean, it works. I wouldn't have been surprised anyway. But then if you calculate it down, um, it doesn't really seem that much anymore. As you said, it's something for, for a long run. Where you can really get something out of it. I mean, that's that's what music labels are doing. They're playing the long game. Yeah. See if they can own the land and tax everyone to live on it. So maybe we could move on uh, to this Kickstarter project of this uh, NES synthesizer, this uh, little piece of hardware MIDI that can attach to your MIDI controller and, and provide you some very authentic sounding NES chiptune. Yeah. Synths. So... Um, 
what what do you find most interesting about this? I mean, there's there's software based chip tune synthesizers, and there's people that try to you know use the actual hardware. So where does this fit kind of in the the tool set for someone interested in chip tunes? Um, I think it's mostly novelty, but also the fact that I think I still think that um, not everybody wants to be on stage uh, with a with a laptop, probably, or just not be. Um, dependent on a laptop all the time so this is standalone you just plug it in you give it some power and there you go you, you got, a, got a little synthesizer i mean it's it's always great if you have something that doesn't depend on anything else just for that alone i think it's very practical then i gotta say it sounds really good like it honestly sounds like an nes there's i'm just listening to the demo right now again what i also find interesting that um in, in recent years, there's been this approach of um, selling hardware synthesizers with those bare bones. Like you only have really the 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 chip there. If you look at this picture, we're yeah. going to link this in the show notes. There there isn't any case around it. It doesn't really look anything special. It looks like they they just built the hardware, they built the circuits, and then left it at that. And I've I've seen this numerous times in in the past and. People aren't really scared off by that. It's it's like a trademark. It's like saying, "Look how cool this is." We don't need a case. Yeah, it reminds me of the like mid '90s, maybe around the iMac kind of helped solidify this. But the yeah. the see through. I mean, I guess Nintendo did it earlier with the Game yeah, Boy, the see through um, Game Boy. But yeah, all, all the like, oh look at the silicon, ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, and I mean, our generation is just. I mean, chip tunes are just kind of like crack to us. We just like all the nostalgia goggles, all the, the satisfaction of, you know, even stuff that strays very far from what was actually possible. Um, but if it's u- using any of the aesthetic of old game systems, it's it's very much part of our culture. And I just wanted to feature uh, an actually good uh, Kickstarter for once in our, in, in yeah, our show. Yeah, not just complaining not about just weird... snake oil. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to complain this time. This this time I was just, oh, this this looks cool. It sounds cool. It's already uh, reached its, its goal uh, with 22 days to go. I mean, it didn't have a high goal, like $1,000. But, um, I mean, yeah. that's probably why it works so well, because they don't have to spend anything on some, on on anything that isn't functional. Like, there's no case. There's, I mean, it does look fragile. I, I would always be scared that something just like a little bit of dust could break this thing already like that's my only caveat with that but um yeah i mean it it sounds good it seems to be very cheap and does what it has does what it promised to do yep and i i'm I'm with you like um in all the stuff i've done with keyboards and live shows it it's nice to have a laptop just because it's just the ultimate flexibility of like something goes in the box you can do anything to it and then yeah. spit it back out but there is a time and depending on what you're doing if you, if you just need some certain synths and you're you're not doing a lot of advanced processing or um, certain workflows aren't involved then it's actually a pain in the ass to use a laptop and have <laughs> yeah. usb cables and the you know the more latency concerns and um, it's just a lot of work. And if you just kind of want to plug and play and get on with your life, um, I can definitely see the appeal of something like this. Right. And it would be kind of fun to just put some guitar pedals like after that thing in the chain and just play around yeah. with some, some, uh, it looks like does this have an XLR out in addition. Uh, to... I think it just was a regular audio connection. Uh, MIDI oh, goes yeah. In, yeah. It's eighth power. inch. 
yep, uh, mo- mono out. But there's adapters. We, we we can adapt. There are always adapters. All right, tell me about this this study. So there was a study. Somebody did a study, and it was about things. Um, <laughs> yeah, the study was about um, if listening to music makes you effective or more effective at work, and it turns out it does. Yay. Um, in this article, please ignore those obnoxious gifs all around. Um, it's it's Metro. Uh, what did you expect? <laughs> it pretty much says that if you're listening to music, you you can concentrate more or be more effective, or things don't bother you as much. And and I can see that. And and my question was um, like, do you listen to music at work? Do you listen to it while driving? Do you sing along to it? Like, how much do you engage the music, or is it just something that listen uh, that that's running in the background. Yeah, well, driving, it's either podcast or music every time. Unless I get like a little fatigue, sometimes I like to just go silence and turn it off. Yeah. But um, other than those breaks, yeah, I'm playing something. Like I, traffic is boring. I want something else to be thinking about or doing. Um, when I'm working, you know, for me, it depends is the answer. Because like there's certain kinds of things and I, I I'm thinking of repetitive tasks or busy work or, you know, anything where you kind of just sink in and get into a rhythm and start doing it. I love throwing music on and just like, yeah, I'm moving these widgets to this other widget box and firing this, you know, whatever. Just, um, music is great for that. And um, for certain kinds of creative work, or I don't know, just certain kinds of thinking, I, and I haven't fully figured out exactly where the distinction is, um, music is very hard for me to work with. And so I, I need to turn it off or I need to do something else. But then there's certain kinds of brainstorming where music is helpful. You want crazy noise around you. And it's like, all right, now I can like bounce ideas and stuff occurs to me. So, you know, it's, it's not hard to just, you know, switch modes and be like, all right, silence now. Okay. I just need something to be going on. And people have those like coffeeativity apps where it plays coffee shop noises, like <laughs> hubbub of conversations and very faint sound of dishes and stuff. And um, that helps people work just to feel like, you know, sometimes the complete sterility of silence. Um, yeah. It's like staring at the blank Microsoft Word uh, document and you're supposed to write something and you're like, ah. <laughs> Here in my apartment, there's always something running. So, um, if I have something I really got to concentrate on, I'd usually usually just play music that's pretty repetitive or very minimalistic. Like um, I like to u- listen to something like Boards of Canada if I do something that I really have to concentrate on, like uh, studying for a math exam or something. But um, if it's something that I don't have to put that much thought into, I can just blast anything and sing along and just do it on the side. I mean, it's the same thing with if you're trying to play guitar and sing. Uh, one of those things takes over, and as long as the one you really got to concentrate on, everything works fine. Like, I, it doesn't matter if I sing the wrong lyrics, if I actually uh, file my taxes correctly while doing that. Um, <laughs> yeah. And doing driving, I, re- I remember one of my friends when I, I just got a license and we were driving somewhere that he mentioned like, oh, you shouldn't be singing while driving, like accidents gonna happen all, everywhere, and just the same thing. Um, I, I can concentrate completely on driving. I, I don't even think about the singing along part anymore. If it's a song that I know really well. Yeah, it's just happening. Yeah, it, it's just happening on the side. And it just um, helps with this tunnel vision of, oh, wait, I'm I'm home now. Um, when did I leave? And you know you did everything right as long as you're driving the same route, of course. Yeah. Um, 
and it's it's for, for me it really helps um to to yeah to concentrate on things because i can more or less um if i if i know what's playing in the background um i can just mute that for i, I don't know it's yeah. hard to explain like music going on in the background that you chose and it kind of like fits the you know the criteria like boards of canada yeah. or you know whatever it is um, it actually makes your environment more stable so that your brain can focus on the thing that actually needs attention. Whereas if I, if no music is on and just like a car drives by and someone honks and some random noise and like that's all very jarring and unexpected and it takes me out of what I'm trying to focus on. And so music can kind of be that layer to, to paint over it, the white noise. Yeah. I, I have this one particular student where I don't really know if music really helps him concentrate all that much. I think it does. But for me, it's just, it motivates him. So he, he doesn't like to come to, to our lessons. And, but if I let him have one earbud in his ear and just let, have it running really quietly, I'm okay with it. I mean, I have already done my homework while listening to music. I wouldn't say any, tell anybody he shouldn't or couldn't do it. Now um, there are some rules that we have in our in our um, in our company about this, but I don't really care. If this guy comes and is is more fun to work with, if he's got an earbud in his ear and listening to some music, I don't really care. I want him to be better at school, and yeah. if that's what helps him, I'm all for it. Absolutely. And uh, the last thing I, I have on this is uh, I do like um, sometimes when I'm checking out a new album, you know. I don't necessarily always sit down and intently listen, though I definitely do that sometimes. But sometimes I really like spinning a new album and working on something and, you know, just letting the album repeat three or four times until it's basically second nature. And maybe I'll do more close listens later, but um, it's one way I really enjoy getting into an album. All right, for our last segment, and this may be a big segment, um, I've decided to tackle the topic of compression. So this is our our new segment called FXplain, where we take uh, audio concepts, effects, tools, and uh, we try to provide like a base level understanding of what it is and what it's for and how we use it and how people use it. And uh, I'm just I'm going to talk about compression and. Uh, this is a big topic. This is way, you know, there's more to say about compression than we will have time for. We're not talking about MP3 compression or anything. We're talking about the audio process of compression that has right. to do with volume. So, you know, just right off the bat, there's all these distinctions that have to be made. So compression. Um, and what I mean by compression is what, you know, we technically call dynamic range compression. So... Um, people don't say that full title ever. You will never hear someone say dynamic range compression. Um, but the, the whole idea of this tool is that it's a basically a, a machine or a black box that reduces the dynamic range of an audio signal. And what does that mean? You know, say it in English, someone might say. So if you have spoken word or a guitar part or someone singing or drums, there's stuff that's quieter and louder. Um, so it may be that part of a sentence is quiet and then later I laugh or something happens, there's an outburst and a compressor will let basically reduce the difference between those things. And there's two main ways that the, the, the tool actually does this. There's what's called downward compression. And so this kind of compressor says, you know, that quiet stuff, just leave it alone. It's fine. But anything that gets loud enough, I'm going to say, calm down, buddy, and I'm going to push him down to be quieter. 
And that's actually the most common form of compression. And then, you know, we'll get into the nitty gritties of the actual parameters that accomplish that. Um, then there's this thing we call upward compression, which is the reverse. It says, you know what, leave that loud stuff alone, but I'm going to target the stuff that's quiet and I'm going to give it a little bump up. So it's also a bit louder. So maybe, you know, it's like dancing about architecture. We should actually listen to some samples so we know what we're talking about. So um, in, first off, I, I want to play a sample of me saying something, and this is totally uncompressed. Um, it's just a straight recording. I didn't do any effects or EQ whatsoever. So let's hear this real quick. The sun is shining, but the ice is slippery. So maybe we could run it one more time and just pay attention to the volume difference between the first and second half. The sun is shining, but the ice is slippery. <laughs> so yeah, really noticeable. Very noticeable difference. And, you know, if you just played by itself, it's fine. Like, you could listen to this and it's not a big deal. But, you know, depending on the context you were using this audio, if it was part of some video and there was music, I don't know how, maybe it's like a William Shatner album and there's just strange poetry <laughs> happening. Um, you, you might find yourself either the, the quiet part is hard to hear or the loud part is too loud and you, you, you don't know what to do. And while you could manually split those things up and set the volume, you extrapolate that problem to an entire track. Do you want to sit there and edit and sit there and adjust levels at every single moment? Um, that's what a compressor is for. It's robot work. Let robots do it. So one more time, let's hear the uncompressed version and then let's follow it up with a compressed version and again, pay attention to the before and after of the two halves. The sun is shining, but the ice is slippery. The sun is shining, but the ice is slippery. So there you go with the compressed version and uh, you know, there's still a little difference like the louder is still louder but you can definitely hear how the quiet part has been bumped up to kind of join the party with the loud part and uh, let's just play one more time on the compressed version. The sun is shining but the ice is slippery. So the other thing I noticed about the compressed version, I've clearly like laid too much compression on this that you can, it's sort of like bad makeup where like you shouldn't notice makeup. <laughs> you blew it if you notice someone's makeup, but, um, it's not just that the quiet part is louder. It's the, all the breathing and noises and even my room and the way sound is bouncing around is also escalated to the forefront. Right. Yeah, and we, we can we can demonstrate that live. So, I mean, right now what you're hearing is us using compressors on our vocal tracks. And um, what I can do is just uh, shut off the compressor. So right now I'm one feet away from my microphone and I'm speaking in my regular voice and I'm coming closer and it's it's all kind of the same volume. But if I turn it off, like now I'm really quiet. I don't even know if you can hear me anymore. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, th this is right now. You're yeah, listening through uh, to us through compressors. Yeah, and uh, we're going to dive into some of the details. But um, just a, a meta point that um, aside from EQ, I would say compression is maybe the most important tool in audio work. And I mean, there's panning and there's levels and there's obviously some other basic structures of mixing something. But um, if I didn't have compression it would dramatically change the way everything I make sounds. Um, 
it would it would make me write songs differently. There'd be different strategies to try to accomplish things, but it's a very useful tool. Um, it, it gets a bad rap because it gets abused in certain situations. But let's let's dive in a little bit deeper. And again, this is still a very basic level, and someone can correct me if I if I characterize this wrong. But when you're using a compressor, there's several parameters involved. So you know, it's not just like flip the switch and now you are compressed. The end. <laughs> um, there's there's these concepts. So the first one is threshold, and basically threshold is telling the compressor when you know how loud does something have to get before you start compressing things. So you might say if it's below minus twenty de- uh, decibels, don't worry about it. But if it gets above that, start compressing it. Um, so threshold sets that, and then you have this thing called the knee, which, um, you know, right at that minus 20 dB, if you're going with my example, um, do you want it to just be instantaneously the compressor is applied, or is there kind of a little curve as as the signal crosses that? Um, you also have this concept of ratio, which is once, you know, if in this theoretical audio signal, once it gets loud enough, you know, when I said that the ice is slippery, um, how much do you want it to clamp it down? You know, how big of a calm down there, buddy, do you want to be happening on your signal? And uh, so the ratio, you know, one to one, two to one, three to one, that'll affect how much the signal gets kind of pushed down once yeah. it's past the threshold. The ratio, you can actually recalculate from that. So um, if you have a ratio of two to one, that means if your signal goes, let's say, six decibels uh, above this threshold, it gets turned down, so it's only three decibels, like half of this above the threshold. Yeah, it's all relative. Yep. Um, another very important concept in compressors is what we call attack and release, and this is actually um, attributes you'll find in a lot of effects because when you're doing something audio to audio, um, it doesn't necessarily get applied instantaneously because that's not always a pleasant effect. You know, if I'm talking and then suddenly my voice jumps to a very different volume because the compressor was either activated or deactivated, um, that may not sound very good. So the attack and release lets you say, you know, maybe over the course of a tenth of a second or half a second or even longer, um, gradually start compressing the audio, gradually start pushing it down. And same for the release, you know, um, after I yell my loud statement and then I start talking at a normal level again, can, you know, the release can help ease you back into that. Um, and so that's, you know, a lot of good use of compressor is, is setting a good attack and release so that it's very smooth and you don't, it's not very jarring. Another attribute of compression is what we call makeup gain or just gain. Sometimes it's, it's mentioned. And so imagine, um, you, you have a very dynamic speaking part and you decide, you know, I'm going to compress it a lot. I'm going to, you know, get this under control. And, uh, the, the loud yelling has now been pushed down 10 dBs. Well, now your whole signal, um, at its peak is now 10 dBs lower than it used to be. And so the makeup gain just kind of lets you say, now take the entire track and let's lift it back up or push it down or whatever you need to do with it. And so this is sort of towards the end of the compression chain. Um, after you, you, you make your adjustment, your dynamic adjustment, you can, you know, lift or lower the entire ship of your signal. Um, very useful, especially when we were doing limiting, which we can talk about. Yeah. Um, 
One other, this is more of a wild card attribute, which I don't honestly use much, is what we call look ahead and actually learned more about it just for this episode. Um, so one of the problems you get with compressors is, as we talked about attack and release, um, if you have a fast attack and fast release on the compressor, that can be very jarring. Um, but if you have a very slow attack and slower release, um, any really sudden loud noise, uh, your compressor's not going to catch it. So if you have like, you have a drum part and it's very kind of calm and then suddenly like the loudest hit of all time happens, your compressor's just not going to catch it if it has a slow attack and it's just going to be, you know, way too loud. Um, look ahead is a solution. If you prefer a slow attack, but you don't want to lose out on those, you know, controlling those way too loud signals. Um, this actually wouldn't work well for the drum example, but um, <laughs> basically it delays your signal. And so it can still catch those loud transients because it applies the compression normally, but the actual signal that's sent out is the delayed version. And so it, I feel like this is probably over people's heads. It took me, you know, I had to think about it through after I read about it before it made some sense to me. But it's it's yeah. about solving that problem of when you prefer a slow attack, but you want to control those transients. Yeah, I've ever never really ha had to use this uh, setting, um, especially when you're playing live. You don't really want this. I mean, you'd want this as uh, little latency as possible. But even when just mixing, I've never really had a, a use for the look ahead function. With a limiter, that's a different thing. We're going to come that, uh, to that in a second. Yeah. So maybe we can take a step back from the, the, the down and dirty details of the parameters and talk about why people use compressors. And so in general, I mean, the, the main motivation is you're trying to manage and control the level of a signal um, to even it out. To You know, I've often heard people describe it as increasing clarity. So you have a, a guitar part that's picked and some of the notes are just a little too quiet and some of them are a little too... They're jumping out a little too much in a compressor. It lets you kind of smooth that over and, uh, you know, it, it brings up the quieter stuff and it, it controls the loud stuff and it can like make a huge difference in, in a subtle way, just making things gel together. Um, it's very practical in, in weird audio environments and restaurants and public spaces and, um, and broadcasting. Uh, you really just, you, you don't want a high dynamic range in those situations. You want, You know, if you're eating in a restaurant, you want the music to be at a very specific level and to kind of sit there at that nice, comfortable level of not intruding on conversation, but also not unnoticeable. And so compression really helps in that situation. Um, one of my biggest pet peeves is uh, movies, which are very famously high dynamic range. The quiet is very quiet and the loud is very loud. Um, when they get shown on television, like broadcast through TV, they tend to be insanely compressed um, too much. And so that's more talking at a high level. Um, specifically on instruments, um, you know, it, the shortcut would be say, you know, use it on almost everything for different reasons yeah. <laughs> and in different ways. But, you know, to call out specific situations, bass lines can benefit a lot from compression um, to, to help provide a, a consistent warmth to a mix. Um, 
you know, unless you really want a punchy and you, you want to feel like the bass is dropping in and out in different ways, which, you know, I mean, this is all aesthetic. This is all art. You might want that sometimes. Um, but you know, a lot of times you, you want to smooth that out. Yeah. Vocals. Especially on the bass. I've, I've often found that uh, there are certain notes that just ring a lot more that's like resonating with the whole body of the bass guitar. And so when you look at the waveform, like you always see where you're playing that G note because the, the wave, uh, waveform goes this big. And so yeah. that's, that's one of the reasons there. Slap a compressor on it, done. Yeah. And since a lot of bass lines are, are usually one note at a time and you notice big differences between the E string and the A string, um, depending on how they're yeah. playing and you may not want that huge of a, a difference in <laughs> amplitude. Um, Drums, there's, there's, I mean, there's a whole science and probably an entire episode we could do about compressing drums in different ways. But needless to say, compression is super important for mixing drums. Yeah, with, uh, on drums, you can really make it punch by, um, so that's very important on, on, on our first album, Letters. I made this mistake of on the drums, the compressors all had a way too quick attack. And so it's, it's not really punchy. I mean, you can hear the kick, you can hear the snare, and it's there, but, it doesn't really smack into the foreground that much because the attack was really quick and it didn't let the transients through in the beginning. But you can also use it like uh, in a very subtle way just to glue the whole drum set together. So if you, if you imagine this waveform where the every single hit like sticks out like a line, it glues those together. So uh, like a coherent, more coherent sound. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, another interesting use, of which I feel like, you know, I've basically assigned you next week, we need to talk about what <laughs> side chains are. But, you know, compressors are often used in conjunction with uh, side chained to other effects. And so some interesting things that happen here are um, you could side chain compressor with equalizer, and then you could just selectively compress certain frequencies. So maybe... Um, you want to control the proximity effect on a speaker, but you don't want to otherwise compress them then, you know, when these lower frequencies come into play because they, they got really close to the mic for a second, um, you could compress that. And, and yeah, um, there, there's a, there's, there's an example for that right now. So, um, once you switched microphones, I noticed that your piece and the, the lower bass sounds of some of your transients got really, um, extreme almost. And so on your track, then I put a multiband compressor, something we're not going to talk about this, but it's, it's more or less the same thing. And it only compresses the low frequencies and everything else is okay. It leaves alone. So your sound isn't as extreme anymore. Good work. Um, another interesting side chain is uh, this thing we call a de-esser, which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, sometimes people's sibilance is kind of jarring and intense and... Uh, DSers work by side chaining EQ and a limiter. And uh, when a certain frequency, I don't even know, let's just listen to some examples. I don't want to yeah. keep just talking. So, first, let's just play. This is a vanilla recording with no effects. And uh, this is me saying a, a common nursery rhyme Sally sells seashells on the seashore. So, not a rhyme, it's a tongue twister. Um, so, it's, it's okay. And, um, you know, I'm on a dynamic mic and it's not known for being excessively bright. And so maybe that's helping a little bit. Um, but you know, if you're using a condenser, um, in certain situations, you may find that your S's are just kind of intense, especially if you're using compressors. Um, sometimes the signal that will come out, 
um, in certain situations will be the S sounds. And that can be very unpleasant. So let's hear the normal one again, and then let's switch to a de-est version. Sally sells seashells on the seashore. Sally sells seashells on the seashore. So those are very, very similar, and it's a very subtle difference there. Um, if you take de-essers to too intense of an extreme, then you might end up giving your, your speaker or your singer a lisp, which you don't usually want. So let's hear this like extreme version. Sally sells seashells on the seashore. <laughs> so you, you probably don't want to give people lisps, but um, that can be very useful. I found that, you know, when I'm listening on my great, amazing studio headphones and, you know, through my perfectly recorded microphone that, you know, I don't realize that the S's might be a problem. But then when I listen in my car or on crappy earbuds or other situations, um, I notice, oh man, those S's are harsh and they're kind of stabbing. And so sometimes I, 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 I learned I needed to care about the S's. Yeah. Um, there, there's one more example where we overdid it with the DSing, um, on this Salt the Skies track, The Lonely Astronaut. There's a kind of a demo on, on the internet where, um, it has this quiet intro and then it, when it starts, the, the lyrics start right away. And the first two words both start with an S sound and it's so over the S that it really sounds like I have a lisp. And, uh, I, I'm just, I'm just gonna play this part right here. Okay. So yeah, side chaining is a, a, a whole topic we'll talk about maybe next week. Um, a couple more things about compressors. So there's also this thing we call a limiter. And uh, limiters are really just a kind of compressor. And uh, the, the, the specific attributes are, are lend themselves to be why we call them a limiter. So limiters tend to have fast attacks. They don't have to, but um, they tend to. Um, They tend to have very extreme ratios, like even 50 or 100 to 1. So, you know, if you're thinking uh, your audio signal increasing in volume, and then when the compressor gets implied, it's almost like a a full-on elbow to what the audio is doing. It's like (laughs) louder, 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 then at the threshold, just kidding, flatline um, is what limiters tend to be like. And uh, they tend to have a high threshold, so, you know, near unity, near clipping, um, they're used to, you know, often just to prevent distortion on the export of uh, uh, an audio. Um, you know, use it on an entire mix or maybe certain pieces of a mix to just um, as a, like a final failsafe of like, yeah, this may be a little dynamic. I just want to make sure it never goes beyond Unity and starts clipping. So I'm going to throw a limiter on it and. You know, you wouldn't want your limiter to be doing something constantly all the time, but it, it, it's good overload protection. Yeah, unless you're Metallica and you're recording Death Magnetic. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if you see the word limiter, just know it's an extreme compressor and you'll be well on your way to understanding what it's about. I wanted to say, you know, a little bit more about how I use compression and podcasting. And, you know, I'm open to feedback if, you know, you're listening to flipping tables or some of the other shows and you think I could do better or try a different approach. Um, but I, you know, to me, it's a light touch. It's, uh, it's, uh, I, I use compressors when I mix a podcast because 
I just want to even it out. I just want it to be kind of smooth and um, not too extreme between quiet and loud. And, uh, you know, I tend to use around a three to one ratio and uh, a threshold that kind of catches a little bit of whatever I consider the normal voice. So maybe maybe it's pushing that down a few dB, maybe up to five dB. Um, and then that'll definitely catch the louder stuff, the outbursts of laughing. But, you know, it's not like the entire signal is being um, pushed down. And then I, I use the makeup gain to kind of push it up towards unity-ish. And maybe it, it transgresses a little beyond it. But I know I'm going to have a limiter at the end that'll that'll cover that those situations. And then I, I don't really fuss much more because I'm editing these every single week. And, you know, it's kind of a, I have these, these defaults I kind of go with. And then I just adjust the makeup gain based on the actual audio file and kind of, you know, ship it off. Yeah, I mean, as long as your recording equipment environment doesn't change, you can really leave it at that. That's what presets are for. I think since episode 10, I really haven't changed much about our setup, about our um, presets here on bits and pieces, except for that one instance where you changed the microphone. Or I changed the microphone. I mean, I bought one uh, about 10 10 episodes in. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm just looking at my compressor right now that's working on my voice right now. So um, I'm, I'm using some parallel compression, which means pretty much that I've got two compressors on my voice that work a little differently and I just mix them. So the first one has a ratio of about six, while the second one only has three. So we've got one that's a little more drastic that kind of gives my voice a little bit more body. And the other one is just to, to, to get, just to even it out. And from the second one that just evens it out, this is where I get like 85% from. The other 15% are just raising the body a little bit. Yeah. And I just, do, I do this because I really like those, um, yeah, radio show compressor style, like where it's really up close and uh, really, um, yeah, really compressed. But I can't go overboard because my room isn't treated. It's it sounds like hell in here if I <laughs> clap or it's early refle- early reflections everywhere. So I can't do too much, which is always the reason why I'm really close to the microphone. Yeah, um, and I would just say. Uh, from here on out, it just gets more and more detailed and complicated and over my head. I mean, there's there's traditionally some very different kinds. I, I was reading about there's a certain kind of compressor that um, basically it uses light, like yeah, this light turns on. Yeah, optical compressors. And then there's VCA and FET. And honestly, I, I have not spent time understanding the nuances <laughs> of them. I was reading a, this site, which we'll include in the show notes, this guy who was summarizing a lot of this. And, you know, talking about, you know, FET is good for this situation and VCA was used in this. And, um, you know, I'll leave that to the people that want to, you know, go beyond me. Um, but, you know, as you can tell, if you if you hadn't learned about compression before, there, there's a lot here. But as, as you use it more and more, you see how valuable it is, how really useful it is. And I would feel very... Um, I almost said I would feel very limited. I would feel, um, I would feel at a disadvantage if I couldn't use compressors in my audio work. And it's one of the most obvious like signals that someone didn't really like. If I watch a video and it's like someone has great visual sense, but the audio is just like this flat, uh, like uncompressed state, you can tell like it, it makes a huge difference in the experience of of something, right? Okay, and with that, let's go to our pick of the week. 
Um, I think I'm going to start this time. So um, my pick of the week is the Cooper Temple class with Talking to a Brick Wall. This is a song that I discovered around 2009. I think I got it through Last of M or something. I, I mean, Spotify wasn't a thing back then. I didn't listen to music on YouTube. What I just like about this song, because I, I found it again the other week, is that I I kind of like the structure of the song. It's it's really like they don't really get want to get to the point right at the beginning. They they're just having this long intro that's really minimalistic, which is which is something that I like to do. So uh, maybe that's that's the reason why it's like look they're also doing long intros, so I can do long intros. Also, this typical thing that I also like to do where the last minute or minute and a half is like completely different to the rest of the song. Like it still has the same atmosphere, but it's not something that's being repeated, not a bridge that happened before or a chorus that happened before. It's like something completely different that could have been made into a different song all along. And it, it it's also kind of rough sounding. I mean, it's, it's a rough song from the sound of it. And, uh, and I, I put here like it has a kind of an edge, but As a composition, I think there's some really great melodies in there that if you were to, to sing the song like with an acoustic guitar and a very soft voice, it would still work very well. So let's just have a little bit of the Cooper Temple class. Yeah, talking about brick wall, I'm just looking at the waveform right now. It's a brick wall, so it's just a chunk of chocolate. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, I, I would echo everything you said about the song, but um, I enjoyed the the intro being very moody, very dissonant, and what I would almost describe as Halloween party chords. Like <laughs> it's like kind of like um, horror movie like dissonance and, and chord progression but you know it's not over the top about it it's actually you know it's it's atmospheric um and uh you know there was some interesting very low pitch singing joining the main melody during the, the like the first two minutes when it's kind of a, a mellow song um but then when it kicks in and it's just like this trashy distorted vocals distorted drums and it's kind of just um you know i have written here that you know distorted vocals and drums are a hell of a drug and you know when used well it's just very satisfying um to hear that kind of sound um but most of all what i what i picked up on this song you know the the core song is very pleasing very nice you know this kind of um atmospheric rock song um but there's an attention to detail they have lots of nice extra elements there's this almost accordion like sound at some point there's chopped up samples there's all these there's all this extra flavor and and stuff sprinkled in to make it more special than just a rock song for my pick of the week i i picked a song by kate lebon um i don't know if that's how she pronounces her name um, but the song is i can't help you and uh Let's just play it. Just roll it. <laughs> All right. I 
Yeah, so isn't that just lovely? I mean, yeah. There's there's <laughs> some very peppy guitar work going on. There's a, you know, it's very stereo and uh um this song is is kind of cute. It's it's a little twee-ish. Um but, you know, I would make it a point to say it's not quite as sugary twee as uh some twee can really get where you're kind of like, "All right, I've had enough." Um I don't know <laughs> if I would listen to an hour of this, but Man, that was, it's just delicious indie pop kind of sounds. And, uh, the harmonies are really nice. And, uh, the production's very, very tight and clean. And, uh, I'm also just a sucker for that extended measure in that little verse oh, line. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is, I, I immediately hooked onto that, that, that sometimes there's a 6-4 in there. And I just love that. <laughs> yeah. So there's also, I mean, some little production flourishes. There's a little brass later in the song and some uh, extra keyboard parts that kind of come in to lift it a little beyond, like you could get tired of just that little guitar riff going on forever. And so, the, you know, they evolve it just enough and then they, they get out before the song gets too long. And I just thought this was just a well-put-together tune, a nice little school and putting together a, a nice little pop song. Yeah, and some some more points about the production of the song. So, of course, I listened to it on headphones, and as you said, it's very stereo. So you've got those two guitars, one completely on the left channel, one completely on the right channel. And they're very much the foreground of the song. There's little to no reverb on them. They're really dry sounding. They have almost no bass. They they have like no bass and almost no mids on those. So they're really kind of tinny and twee and really in the foreground. And then in the middle... On the middle channel, I mean, there's no really mil- no real middle channel there, but uh, you've got the vocals, the drums, and the bass, and the vocals have this noticeable reverb on them, which gives it a, l- a very different space to the rest of the the, the instrumentation. Um, it can be jarring, but this think this is this is one of those songs where it really works because um, it 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 ha- it gives you this dry atmosphere, but if you have tr- tr- very dry vocals, it doesn't really work that well. So. Yeah. Um and and also just now when we listened back I noticed that there is a, a very high noise flaw so you can really hear that there is noise in the background. Maybe it's just the guitar amps and maybe it's just the way they recorded it. I mean it sounds a bit like they recorded it in one go like the the old ways, no overdubbing everything in one <laughs> go. And yeah. um I I recently did a song where I also put some deliberate noise just to to have something in the background just to to fill it up a bit and Sometimes it can work. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't fit. But I think this is also a case where this noise really adds something. I mean, we're, we're talking about noise, just random waves. Yeah. But it, it works. I I mean, the analog I would compare it to is when people put grain on film, even mm-hmm. though you shot it on digital or for whatever reason, it doesn't make any sense that there would be this film grain effect. And, uh, yeah. you know, people overdo it all the time. Like It looks like a grindhouse film, but it really shouldn't. Um, but you know, every once in a while, just a little tasteful amount of grain on a video just gives it some texture and makes it feel less sterile. And the same thing happens in audio all the time, whether it's a little lo-fi or a little noise, um, some, some, you know, don't, don't put record scratches and and full on record dust, but, um, a little, (laughs) little can go a long way. 
So that's it for episode 27 of Bits and Pieces. Um, as always, uh, you can check out these, the, our picks of the week, um, on our Spotify playlist. And for the time being, I'm also maintaining an Apple Music playlist, but if I cancel that, I, I guess the playlist <laughs> will die unless a, a lovely fan that's a subscriber wants to maintain it for hey, us. Hey, that's the new patron incentive. That's true. Um, yeah, yeah. Cover, cover my Apple Music subscription. <laughs> um, so we'll have links to that, including all the other articles and uh, to some non-Spotify versions of our Picks of the Week, too. Um, you can find our show notes at sunriserobot.net slash bits and pieces slash 27. And uh, while you're there, you might as well subscribe to our show so that you get new episodes automatically every week delivered to your smartphone or tablet or computer. Some of our favorite apps, if you're on an iPhone or an iPad, you could use the built-in podcast app, or uh, one of my favorites is Overcast.fm. It's a free download, um, very well-designed app, has a great, um, it's specifically its feature for speeding up podcasts is very, very elegantly done. Um, most of the time, I don't like going more than like 1.25, 1.3, but I can actually get close to 1.5 because the way it's speeding it up doesn't distort the voices too badly. On Android, there's Podcast Addict or Pocket Casts. Um, which one of those are you using these days? I'm using Podcast Addict. Yeah. So, and then you can just use the RSS button on our site or actually search within the apps for bits and pieces and uh, subscribe. And that way you'll get new shows automatically. And all you have to do is press play and you're good to go. Um, me and Matt are both on Twitter and we love feedback. So, um, and we both kind of live on the internet, so if you if you tweet at us, you'll probably get a response very quickly. Um, I'm at Medwards Music, and Matt, you are at Echolox, E C H O L O X. And uh, you know, ask us questions, correct us, uh, tell us what to cover next time, and maybe we'll do it. But you'll get an answer either way. Um, and if you'd really like to support us directly, you can become a patron. So if you go to Patreon.com/slash/SunriseRobot. Um, you can actually donate directly to our network. And what this does is it not only helps us keep the lights on, but it helps us invest um, in, in better audio equipment, um, maybe even invest in launching new shows. Um, you know, a couple months ago, we launched our book club podcast, and uh, we we have some ideas for, for other shows that may be in the pipeline. Oh, we just keep Mike's Apple Music subscription alive. Yeah, it, it might just do that. <laughs> you might just be feeding Apple some money. No, probably not. Um, we we do want to give special thanks to our top Patreon supporters, um, Bruce Edwards and Andreas Longa. We love you guys. All right, we'll see you next week. <laughs>